Welcome to the Family Law Now podcast and welcome our viewers on YouTube. Uh, today's topic is an important one for a lot of families. Top 20 COVID-19 questions about Ontario child custody and access. So as lawyers and family professionals, we're getting lots of questions from clients. You know, can they stop access? Can I see my child? A whole bunch of different scenarios. What do we do about supervised access, public transportation? So we've written on this extensively. I want to thank Jonathan Painter, who coordinated um, a lot of the Q&A with the court to come up with some of the answers that we have today. Uh, most importantly, this information should not be regarded as legal advice. The information is specific to the Ontario court in cases decided in Ontario. If you have a question about your particular situation, please contact me or one of our guest speakers today directly. If you're on YouTube, you can leave your question in the question box below. We are gonna assemble all the questions at the end of each week and produce a separate video talking about each question. If you're on YouTube, you can like this video, you can comment, you can hit the bell at the bottom of your screen. You get notified of upcoming videos that we have. So let's make a start. Um, we're gonna do some introductions here. So let's talk about who you are, what your practice is, and, um, and uh, how you come to join us today. So Jonathan, you wanna start? Hi, yeah, I'm Jonathan Painter, and I'm a, an accredited family mediator, and I'm uh, a family professional with the uh, collaborative groups in Durham and Kawartha. Um, I also offer Section 30 assessments and family arbitration. Um, and I practice in Durham Region and the four counties of Peterborough, City of Lakes, Northumberland, and Halliburton. Thanks for joining us today, Jonathan. Mark? Yes, I'm Mark Duru. I'm a family law lawyer. I'm based in uh, Ajax, Ontario, and I'm uh, a member of the Toronto and the Durham Region Collaborative Practice Groups. Uh, I try to focus my practice particularly on collaborative law, and uh, I'm pleased to be here today and uh, hoping we'll be able to answer some questions. Yeah, thanks for joining us, uh, Mark. Really appreciate it. And uh, the person adjusting his camera is Jarrett Johnson. I've, he gets credit for not being in his bathrobe today. Welcome, Jarrett. Thanks for having me, Russ. I'm Jarrett Johnson. I, uh, I'm a family lawyer with a firm in City of Kawartha Lakes known as Gemmel Johnson and Jeffries, PC. Um, I do uh, different process options, litigation, settlement, uh, but also try to encourage my clients to use the collaborative process whenever possible. Great. Thanks for joining us, Jared. So we've divided our discussion. We've got 20 questions. We're going to divide it into uh, COVID concerns within separated families, parenting time, enforcement in the era of COVID-19 and this pandemic, and finding a professional to speak to. So those are our three big categories. Uh, Jared, you got our first question. You wanna read it out to us and uh, make a start? Yeah, thanks for us. Um, we're dealing with a lot of clients right now uh, in our communities um, who are, are, are frightened, who are panicked, um, don't know what to do. It's human behavior. Um, to sort of tighten up when these situations happen. Obviously, none of us have experienced the magnitude of this pandemic in our lives, but certainly we're, it's unprecedented times. 
and that causes people to panic. So um, I think it's incumbent on us as, as uh, the professionals in this family law world to provide some direction and some advice to our clients. So this particular uh, issue is coming up regularly. I'm sure uh, you guys all are experiencing this daily right now on your files as well. Um, but it's when a client asks, um, you know, given the, the uh, COVID protocols, do I need to send my, my child or my children for access if I'm worried that the other parent is not necessarily uh, following some of the same Health Canada uh, protocols that I am. Um, so so there's, there's, there's some case law, luckily, um, when this first hit, uh, the first couple of weeks, uh, everyone was scrambling, courts were scrambling, lawyers were scrambling, family professionals were scrambling. Uh, thankfully, there has been some re reported cases. One of the first ones to come, it was Ribeiro and Wright, um, and uh, it, it gave some direction uh, on on this very issue. I'd say that's probably uh, one of the leading cases right now. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and I think I think we all, as professionals, are sharing, trying to share these these cases and some of the feedback from these cases and discussion around these cases. Uh, with our clients because, um, you know, one of the things we, we strive to do is provide some direction to our community. So um, we've, been, we've been using some of the factors and some of the, the comments made by the judge in this particular case um, when dealing with this issue. Uh, first, uh, there needs to be some, some evidence uh, that the, the other parent is, is not uh, following uh, safety protocols. Uh, and trying to reduce risk for their child. I mean, that's, that's first and foremost. Um, there needs to be something concrete there, in my opinion. Um, so the question, because, uh, the, question, let's face it. the question whether you can stop access until this is over, uh, what I'm hearing from you is the short answer is no. It, yes, it, that's a convoluted answer, Russ, but um, yeah, the, the reality is self-helping is never condoned by our courts. Uh, people taking measures into their own hands and, and unilaterally uh, stopping, ceasing, or denying uh, court-ordered or, 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 or access pursuant to a separation agreement. The, the simple answer is no. It's, it's, it's not advisable. It's likely not wise. There's no, there's, um, no blanket, there's no blanket policy saying keep the kids at home. Access is going to stop. That's right, and that's certainly contrary to uh, what we're being uh, directed to advise, and, and certainly the, the uh, overwhelming thrust is to calm people down, to rely on reasonable decisions, make wise decisions, right. and, and don't overreact, uh, because that's just gonna cause a counter overreaction from the other side. Great tips, yeah. Mark, I think you've got our second question. Yeah, so the question here is, if, the, if people don't have a court order or a separation agreement that formalizes the parenting arrangements, what do they do and what are the presumptions? And, and again, it really goes back to that Ribeiro case where the court right. said that the presumption is that the existing arrangements remain in place. Just because the arrangements aren't in writing doesn't mean there are no arrangements. So if there's a status quo where the parents are living mainly with one parent, then it's presumed that that's going to continue. 
when we say status quo, what we're saying is whatever occurred before COVID-19 will continue to occur in terms of parenting times. Um, and I think courts will step in if a parent's trying to use COVID-19 to change a custody order. So um, clearly I think that falls within what they define as urgent or an emergency. I'm gonna take our third question. So what type of COVID related risk would be considered worth changing the parenting schedule? Uh, well, there's certain things that are common sense. If you're in a 14 day quarantine period or isolation as a result of traveling, that might be an idea to suspend the parenting schedule. Illness or exposure to the illness would be another basis to uh, suspend the parenting schedule. I've seen a case recently, uh, you know, Ribeiro on rights referred to when we talk about these type of things. There's also another case recently that came out where mom was complaining, uh, the parent, they had a nesting arrangement. So mom would be in the home, kids would remain in the home all the time. Mom would leave and dad would come in and parent and then go back and forth. Mom was complaining that uh, dad wasn't properly social isolating. Uh, dad wasn't providing information about what he was doing with his girlfriend. And in fact, was providing mom with misleading information. Uh, the court took a fairly extraordinary uh, step in that particular case because of dad's conduct ordered that mom have exclusive possession of the home and that all in-person access with dad would stop uh, and even ordered that any access be online. So the courts are going to take these safety protocols very seriously and that would be an example of when uh, a, a parenting schedule would change. Uh, Jonathan, I think you've got our next question. Yeah, and basically it's about um, parents who are working uh, but can work from home. If one parent can stay home and they have shared parenting and can be uh, with the children to watch uh, them from home while the other parent's working, um, can you change the uh, access schedule? And again, um, basically the answer is no. It's, it's not in the children's best interest to uh, be removed from one parent's care um, because of the COVID-19 situation unless you can prove that the one parent is not following the COVID restrictions and is um, putting the family at risk. Um, now there was a, a recent case on March 27th called uh, Z versus Kwan and the father kept the children uh, refusing the mother face-to-face uh, -face access arguing that because she worked in a hospital um, as a mental health therapist and he worked at home um, that he was better positioned to look after the kids and they should not be physically seeing their uh, mom and should only have video and phone access. Uh, the court basically said this is this is not, not uh, right, this is not good for the children, it's not in their best interest um, and that the mom was following all the uh, COVID-19 uh, rules in terms of hand washing and social distancing and I think there were other concerns about the father alienating the children from the mother as well, which was evidenced by a, a letter that the father included in his uh, uh, court documents from the oldest child, which was very, very negative towards the mother. Yeah. So um, it's really important that um, you don't uni unilaterally, as, as Jared said earlier, uh, change the uh, schedule um, because of COVID-19 concerns unless there's really good reason to do that. 
Right. That's a great tip. That ties in neatly with our next question. I'm going to take this one. Uh, but the other parent works in healthcare and has increased risk of con contracting COVID-19. Doesn't that matter? You know, like that's a practical, reasonable fear for a parent to have. Um, you know, everybody's scared. Nobody uh, wants to get sick. Nobody wants their children to get sick. CNN recently picked up on a story out of Miami. Dr. Green was an emergency, uh, was caring for uh, COVID-19 parents. I think she was in an emergency ward in Miami, Florida. She lost custody of her four-year-old daughter because she was working in healthcare. Um, so a lot of the papers picked up on this story. She's appealing that decision. The question that was asked was, you know, would that happen here in Ontario? I think the simple answer is no, it would not. Provided, and it's assumed that healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, other professionals, are going to follow the protocols, do the safety, uh, all the safety uh, steps that are required. So simply because your spouse is involved in healthcare in some fashion, doesn't mean you can stop access or change the access schedule. I think in Ontario, we've got three or four cases that talk about this, Ribeiro and Wright, the case Jonathan just mentioned, uh, another case, the lesser and Romelio, uh, all people involved in the healthcare uh, system in some fashion, working in hospitals and other capacities. And the court found that uh, they were not gonna stop access because of that. Really important question, we're getting a lot of it. It's common sense to fear to have, you know, uh, you think the exposure might be greater, but this is how the courts, at least in Ontario, are approaching it. Jared, so, I think you've got our next one. Uh, can I just add something there? Yeah, uh, please. Some uh, workplaces are actually limiting um, uh, their workers' exposure to their children. And I've had a couple of clients who've had to decide whether to keep working at a long-term care facility, uh, but not see their children or see their children and stop their work because yeah. they're really worried that the exposure to the children is going to bring the virus into the long-term care. Well, that, that was the quagmire feeling with respect to the emergency room doctor. You know, am I going to continue to be a doctor or care for my four-year-old daughter? Yeah. And she's saying that's an unfair position to be put in. But that's a great point, Jonathan. Okay, Jarrett, work your magic down there. What do you got for us? Yeah, thanks, Russ. Uh, next question is, I'm concerned about COVID spreading during our child exchanges. This this is uh, obviously coming up a lot, and this is something that the, uh, the need for information sharing and communication be between separated families becomes that much more important. Um, I know I have a lot of files where I'm bringing in family professionals like Jonathan right now and, um, <clears throat> and, and trying to engage some, some more communication because of this very issue. This is something that and that's can be dealt with. That's what the court's going to ask too, right? What communication is going on between the parents? That's it. Yeah. The, 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 when, when panic, the amount of files right now where, where panic has set in and one of the biggest problems is, is the, the parties aren't communicating. Um, so the, the worry just gets heightened. Uh, I find exchanges can be easily dealt with right now um, by just changing things up a little bit. Again, it takes communication, but we're, we're looking at transitions that, that abide by the social distancing uh, protocols. I mean, obviously, um, 
they, they keep changing week to week, uh, but, but people need to be uh, keeping themselves apprised of those developments, uh, adjusting their protocols accordingly, and adjusting their exchange setup accordingly. So this is something where we're looking at changing locations, uh, maybe, maybe adding uh, some, some uh, sanitary protocols to the exchanges uh, involving uh, third parties, um, again, following the protocols, of course, changes to the transportation structure. Um, people need to be creative um, during this time. Instead of, instead of closing down and tightening up, people need to be talking more and, and, right. and, and using the, the uh, tools they have available in our community to try to uh, get through this. It's a great tip. And in our show notes, we're going to be listing um, the government sites where you can find the protocols. We'll have all these cases listed. So if you want to read any of the cases that we're talking about, that uh, they'll be in our show notes and other information you can get as well. Great stuff, Jared. Uh, Mark, I think you have our next question. Yes. Uh, the next question is, uh, I'm concerned that the other parent has children from another relationship and that those children are also going between the homes. I'm concerned about COVID spreading through all his family mixing. Um, I, I think the answer to that is very similar to what Jarrett was talking about in the previous question, which is really, it, it's a matter of communication and it's a matter of being sure that in each household that the, the COVID-19 protocols are in place. Um, everyone's gotta be responsible for their kids and they've got to be able to show the other parent that they're taking care and that they're taking uh, whatever measures are necessary to try to reduce any possibility of the children getting sick. Um, personally, what I've found with the cases that I'm dealing with is that you have difficulties with certain types of cases where there's an extreme lack of trust between the parents. Right. And, and I think those are the most difficult ones to deal with because I find that no matter what the one parent says, the other parent simply won't believe it. They, they don't believe that the kids are being made to wash their hands or that other people aren't coming into the house or, or anything. That's a great point. Even non, during non-pandemic times, we see that all the time, but all the fears are just sort of heightened right now and taken to a new level. For sure, for sure. I don't know, Jonathan, do you have any tips for, for us as to how we deal with this lack of trust? Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, the principle that I like to go back to is, is the principle of charity and uh, never assume that the other person, uh, the other parent is acting in a way to specifically harm or, uh, you know, they're being malicious. Always assume that, you know, if, if they're doing something that um, you don't like or you don't approve of, that maybe they don't know that you don't approve of it or, uh, you know, don't like it. So. Uh, that's where communication comes in and say, hey, um, can you just tell me what your hand-washing um, procedures are at home? Can you just tell me how you're uh, managing things um, at, uh, at the other home in terms of hand-washing and clothes washing and social distancing and all those kinds of things? And it's really important for both parents to be really open and honest with each other. Uh, and this is actually an issue that I'm dealing with because I'm separated. So my kids are going back and forth between uh, their mother, my house, and my partner's kids are going back and forth between our house and their father's house. So uh, we did have some concerns. So we just had some open communication, told them that, you know, we are going to follow all the COVID recommendations about social distancing, 
hand washing um, and you know that open discussion really helped settle people's anxiety about the issue and I think it worked. I just want to say to our viewers and listeners these are legitimate valid fears that you're having you know we're taking a very analytical approach we're, we're explaining how the court's going to deal with these questions if it goes to court so although you may not be getting some of the answers that you want we recognize these are valid legitimate fears everybody is certainly very concerned about the pandemic uh jonathan you've got our next question i think yeah so my my question deals with um supervised uh access and whether that's continuing during the covid uh, situation we get that all the time yeah. that question two three times a week we get about supervised access so two things i want to say is one it goes back to what jared was saying earlier about creativity there's it, um, there's a lot of supervised access centers that are closed right now uh, and they're not offering their services or they're only offering their services online. I went and uh, called a couple of uh, local services and the Kinnerick Supervised Access Center in the Peterborough and Fort Counties area is closed and the one in Durham is also closed. Um, some areas are offering video only supervised access. Um, so if, if the centers are closed, then we have to uh, think outside of the box and find, is there someone else who can supervise the visits? Um, is there a way that the, the, the parent who has primary care of the children can supervise the visits, maybe at a, a public park? Um, and a, a couple of uh, the court's decisions related to this um, very issue. Just on, that, just on that note, the park, I think every, you know, the rules may be different wherever you're living. My understanding is playgrounds are closed, but some parks are open. Is that That's right. Yeah. So standard for a lot of communities? Yeah, you wouldn't be able to take the children to the play structure, but you can walk around the park. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, as long, my understanding is that as long as you're not sitting in one area, you can't use benches, picnic tables, any equipment like play structures, swings, all that stuff, but you can walk around the park. So what's your advice, Jonathan, if it's raining or we got, uh, believe it or not, snow last couple of days? Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, today, actually. Uh, in climate weather, what do you do then about supervised access? Again, creativity is the key here. Find another way to have the access. The, the rulings that, or the information we're getting from the court is suggesting that maybe you could find another place to have the, the uh, access, maybe under a, a, a shelter um, or maybe another time, maybe a different day. Switch days, that kind of thing. So um, call your local supervised access center, find out what they're doing. Um, and um, they may also have some good suggestions about how to do it. But in the meantime, it may be uh, just video for the time being. Um, so you'll just have to see how things play out. Yeah, great tip. Now, Mark and I were talking about this question before we started. Uh, you want to take care of the next one, Mark? Yeah, so the, the question is, the other parent is using public transportation for access. Can I stop access? And uh, there's no uh, certain answer on that, but uh, we can look at the case law and we know, first of all, that um, as we've discussed previously, the presumption is that existing arrangements are going to continue. Um, there was a case that called Liam Norris that was decided recently where one of the parents tried to stop all access and made some blanket statements about the, the other parent not observing uh, 
proper protocols and, and in that case the, the uh, judge did not find there was enough evidence to actually make that order and in fact the judge ordered that the access should continue but uh, it was said that in carrying out the order for access that the parties had to uh, carry out responsible adherence to the court order responsible adherence meaning that the parents are supposed to take all reasonable precautions to ensure the children are not exposed to the virus uh, that includes social distancing and it includes uh, following all of the precautionary measures that have been recommended by the various levels of government uh, so that's that's the first thing another case was uh, before the courts called Tessier and Rick and in that one uh, a specific concern related to public transportation use and in that case the judge wasn't able to decide the issue because there was no responding material from the father in that case who was uh, said to be endangering the children uh, but the judge did find that that motion was urgent enough that it should be dealt with and uh, made an order for the father to be permitted to file materials including uh, his response to the mother's allegations of endangering the children by taking them on public transportation. So he he's required to explain exactly what measures he takes to protect the children. And I presumably, depend, depending on what he says, the judge may or may not find that using the trans, public transportation constitutes a danger. Now, I may be naive. I didn't even know public transportation was still going, but it is in Toronto, right? The TTC is still operating. Yes, it is definitely. And people are getting on the back doors, I think. Is that? Yeah, people have to, if they're taking buses, they have to get in the back doors. I think the same for streetcars. Um, I'm not sure what they're doing for the subway, but it, it's running um, because there are people who still have to get to work if they're. Right. right. So, this whole question of a public access or access with public transportation is a real one. Thanks. Mark, appreciate that. So we're gonna wrap up the COVID concerns with separated families. You've got one more question under this uh, heading. I think this one's yours, Jonathan. Yeah, so what am I supposed to do with my concerns is the question. And um, know that just because the COVID-19 situation has shut down the courts, uh, most lawyers are still out there to help you. Um, family mediators are available to help you. Collaborative family professionals are there to help you. Um, there are lots of other services you can access uh, for help, including women's shelters and uh, the family law information centers are all operating remotely. Um, but most importantly, you know, do your best to compromise, do your best to be creative, do your best to communicate with the other person. This situation demands our flexibility. It demands our, um, you know, us being reasonable and trying to work out these issues without going to court. So do your best uh, to, to resolve them in a creative uh, manner. And, you know, nobody's been through this before. We're all learning as we go. And um, uh, take your time to think things through and how to be as reasonable and um, focus on the best interests of the children as much as possible. Yeah, great tip. Lawyers are deemed an essential service. Uh, some lawyers have shuttered their offices. Most lawyers I know continue to operate. Um, and there's lots of options open if you contact a lawyer. Jared and I recently, within the last few weeks, had a case that um, we started, we did it remotely, 
collaboratively as a full team. And we were able to get the entire case settled in under seven days. Uh, so lawyers' schedules are opening up a bit. The emails are slowing down, but um, by doing it remotely, it creates a lot of flexibility. You want to talk a bit quickly about that case, Jared? Yeah, I, I think that it was we settled. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, we weren't we weren't adversarial on that, that case, that's for sure. Yeah. And um, I think the clients got a really good product. And I think in speaking with with the clients after. Um, it just goes to show what's out there right now. Right. I mean, if you need to move forward um, with with your issue or issues, um, collaborative is a great great process to do that because it it's uh, so efficient and, and so timely. Uh, yeah. We were able to to get to get through uh, everything we needed to get through remotely, and um, and it, it's it's I think it's going to become more prevalent right now in our community because um, there's so much uh, uncertainty um, right. and, and people are going to have to start communicating and opening up those lines and, and, and looking uh, to use resources and processes like collaborative process. Yeah. So I think that was a great, great case example uh, that we yeah. pulled off there. And there's limited availability to access the court right now. So the point is these professionals like you see here today, mental health, family, lawyers, uh, financials are open and available to help even though um, the pandemic continues. So this takes us into our next section, parenting time enforcement in Ontario during COVID-19 and the pandemic. Jared, I think you've got our first question under this heading. Yeah, the first question is, you know, you, you understand everything that we've just talked about. You've talked to your lawyer, you've talked to someone about what, what the courts may or may not do but you still feel um, that it's in the best interest of your child or children, um, maybe not, not to share time and you're not convinced uh, that the other side's gonna communicate with you or, or follow the protocols or be reasonable. What, and, and what can you do? Um, the, the first answer, of course, is um, you, need, you need to demonstrate an effort to show reasonable steps to, to resolve that issue to communicate uh, that can be by way of of picking up the phone sending a letter having your lawyer send a letter um, the, the courts are still looking to, to everyone in our community including professionals um, to try to resolve and try to show some mutual uh, respect uh, with each other so that's first and foremost um, but the reality is if that doesn't work or your letters go unresponded um, there are uh, mechanisms still available, uh, despite um, the, the limited uh, nature of our court operation right now. Um, and, and you can bring an urgent motion. Uh, as of April 6, you can also um, bring a, what we call a paper motion or a basket motion to, to have a, a judge review it and decide whether to schedule uh, a case conference on the issue or, or you can proceed with your, your urgent motion right away. Um, it goes back to the Ribeiro and Wright case that, that uh, Mark and, and Russell and Jonathan and I have been discussing some of the factors from, from that case uh, that came out, but there, there's gonna be certain criteria that the court's looking for. There's gonna have to be specific evidence and concrete evidence that the other party is not uh, necessarily uh, being safe and following uh, the COVID-19 protocols when it comes to their parenting, 
they'll so then have an it opportunity can't just to be, respond. It can't just be an allegation. There's got to be something there. That's right, Ross. Uh, I mean, and even before COVID, uh, uh, that's kind of, that was pretty typical of, of motions in general. There needs to be concrete evidence, uh, but even more so now, uh, because I think this, the sheer volume uh, and the limited ability uh, of the court to deal with the volume uh, of, of what people consider urgent right now, um, there's, there's going to need to be a high threshold uh, of concern and, and, and evidence, and then the other party's going to have an opportunity to respond. Um, and and you're going to have to show uh, at least attempts that that resolution uh, was attempted, that, that both of, um, that you looked at, at uh, options or settlement proposals in terms of assuring each other that the COVID protocols will be followed. Um, and, and bottom line, the courts are making it incumbent on not just the professionals, but our community as a whole to, to look at reasonable options before relying on the court. Great tips. And I think it's important to also remind our listeners and our viewers, urgency and an emergency have special meanings in the family court. Just because you think it's urgent doesn't mean it's going to meet the test. So even before the court will hear your matter, a triage judge will determine whether or not it's urgent and may be dismissed right there. If it is urgent, then they may require service and then go on to a hearing. So that was a great tip. I think you've got our next question, uh, Mark. Yes, um, so as Jarrett had mentioned, the courts are operating on a limited basis pursuant to a practice direction that was uh, the latest one made on April 6th. And as you were just saying, Russ, the uh, cases are dealt with uh, in family court only if they are deemed to be urgent pursuant to the practice direction that was issued by the Chief Justice. Uh, there are essentially four situations that will meet that test. One of them is where somebody is asking for urgent relief relating to the safety of a child or a parent, uh, things like restraining orders, for example. Uh, secondly is urgent issues uh, relating to the well-being of a child. So that would be something relating to urgent medical decisions or wrongful removal of a child. Thirdly, dire issues relating to financial circumstances. And fourthly, uh, child protection matters relating to the Children's Aid Society. So there have been cases dealing with some of these things. For example, a case called Right Soul was dealt with recently where a, a father was bringing a motion for what he said, was, he said it was urgent and related to access to the children. But on a review of the facts, the judge found that this individual had not been exercising access to the kids since September of last year. And it was only at the end of March that he decided to bring a motion for access. So the judge wrote that even based on the, the person's own conduct, it didn't even appear that it was urgent to that party. So the, the matter wasn't dealt with. Uh, a case that did find urgency uh, was one called Thomas and Wallaber, and that related to finances, where one party had taken $775,000, if you can believe it, out of a joint line of credit and was refusing to pay the money back into the line of credit or to account for it. So in that situation, the judge found that that significant amount of money uh, constituted a uh, uh, an urgent financial situation for the other party. What's he going to buy? Everything's closed. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the question. Uh, so, so those are some situations where the yeah. court will deal with cases based on urgency. No, that's uh, 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 a good analysis there, Mark. Um, Jonathan, I think you have our next question. We're at 13 and 20, so we're making some progress here. But if these are all great questions, and we're getting them all the time. So, Jonathan, you're up. This question uh, speaks to what you were saying earlier about uh, parents' uh, legitimate concern about these unprecedented times. And the question is, the other parent is pestering me about my adherence to COVID safety protocols. Uh, this is another example of their controlling behavior. What should I do? Um, in, in this situation, uh, there's a concept that I like to uh, explain to parents. It's called rolling with the resistance. When a parent is upset or concerned about COVID, instead of fighting against them and saying, uh, you don't have a right to that information, roll with, the roll with the resistance and just say, okay, this is what I'm doing to satisfy those uh, safety protocols. So this is again where communication comes in. Uh, it, the other parent has a right to know what safety protocols that you are following. And it's important for you to communicate to them so that their anxiety about the COVID-19 situation is reduced. Um, so I think that, um, you know, good communication is really the uh, name of the day here. And um, uh, I think we've had a couple of good cases where um, one parent hasn't been communicating well with the other parent, including one where the, the uh, father was leaving the matrimonial house where the parents were still leaving several times a day and not telling the mother where he was going. And when he came back into the house, he wasn't washing his hands. And the court found uh, him at fault for not letting her know what he was doing and, and how he was following the COVID-19 uh, protocols in terms of washing hands. So I think it's really important that we take these uh, these protocols and guidelines that are coming from public health departments very seriously and that we do our best to communicate those uh, protocols to the other person in terms of how we're following them, how we're protecting the children, how we're social distancing, all those kinds of things. Yeah, great tips. Great. Um, I'm going to take the next question. It's the other parent is now not is now not allowing me to see our children making all these excuses, including COVID-19. What do I do? The, Jared, I think mentioned earlier, the court's not gonna tolerate parents who do self-help or simply impose a regime that, a parenting regime that uh, wasn't in place prior to the pandemic. Um, first step, would be to double check the current safety recommendations um, from the, the the government of Ontario and the federal government. Try to communicate with the other parent. Um, try to problem solve rather than blame. Jonathan talked about that a little bit earlier. See if there's a compromise that can be reached. Uh, if you do arrive at an agreement, uh, you can, we can file something called a 14B motion where we can get a court order on consent. Um, try to take these steps before going to court. The judge will want to see in your material that you've taken these steps um, before asking for urgent relief. If you've taken these steps and there's still uh, access being withheld and uh, you're not seeing your children, Assuming that the access was occurring prior to the pandemic, you can't just use the pandemic to say I want a new access regime. So 
if the access that was occurring prior to the pandemic is being changed or withheld, and you've taken these steps and you still haven't been able to work it out, uh, the court may consider it urgent and may impose an order, especially if there's evidence that one party has done self-help or is acting unilaterally. Um, so those are my tips. And there's a bunch of cases on this. I just want to mention, um, I think Mark had mentioned um, the protocols by the Superior Court of Justice and the notices that have gone out. We are going to make that part of today's show notes. So you'll be able to access all those documents that we're referring to. We're also going to have all our cases available as show notes that we talk about today. Um, so that completes that question. I think, Jared, you're going to take the next one. Yeah, <clears throat> thanks, Russ. Uh, the next one is the other parents overholding or child and not willing to return the child is set of existing order. This ties into what you were we're just discussing, Russ, it's happening quite frequently right now, more than we would like, uh, more than the courts would like, certainly. Um, the reality is, as you said, our courts are not tolerating self-helping uh, remedies right now and never have. Um, the, the encouraging directive is, is to follow your, your court orders. Um, as we've talked about um, throughout this to our listeners, I mean, Certainly, uh, there are certain case-by-case -case examples where um, there might arise uh, a need, um, and maybe there are uh, concrete uh, examples and evidence that, that one of the two parents is, is not abiding by COVID and it's putting the child at risk. In those situations, the, the, the proper course of action is, is to rely on the professionals in the court before you take matters into your own hand. So rather than uh, all of a sudden waking up one morning and unilaterally denying and, and, and not following your, your court order, um, well, first, speak to a professional before you do that. Uh, and secondly, um, think about um, the fact that the court is going to uh, obligate you to communicate and take steps that Russell was just, just talking about. Um, and if, if you can't demonstrate that you have tried to take those steps, uh, they, they're not going to tolerate uh, you taking matters into your own hands. But again, that that uh, that information comes with the caveat that there are certain examples out there, and 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 as we've discussed here today, there are certain cases that have been reported um, where where the court has said that one of the two parents was was acting without regard to the to the child or the children's safety. But I find right now those cases are few and far between. I don't know about the rest of the professionals, but uh, the majority of the questions I'm fielding right now fall into that category of uh, panic and, and lack of trust and not sure how to navigate that. So uh, they're separated for a reason. Um, Eric, <laughs> just for our, our viewers and listeners, can you talk? Can you tell us what overholding access means? Yeah, so so overholding in particular is is let's say for example you have a court order where uh, mom has every other weekend and dad has Monday to Friday uh, parenting structure. Uh, if mom happens to have a weekend and in the court order it says she's supposed to return the children at five p.m. on the Sunday and decides to just not return them. Uh, at right. 5 p.m. on a Sunday, um, that would be considered overholding by our courts and, 
and um, right now it is it is unfortunately uh, happening in certain uh, situations in our community and and people are scrambling to to try to address it and including our courts so that's one of the few examples that Russ touched on as well where courts are intervening yeah yeah and, and I think the court's really going to take a dim look of parents who try to use COVID-19 to overhold access or to try to change the custodial arrangement or the primary residence that's real i think the courts are really going to step in and say no this is not going to continue and there'll be sanctions for it as well agreed yeah great stuff jared mark i think you have our next one yeah and what we were what you were just talking about relates to that the question is i'm concerned that the other parent will move or abduct our child will the court be willing to hear my matter and the answer on that is yes the court will um, there have been a couple of cases where that's been dealt with already. One of them is LAF versus KBS, and that was a case out of Hamilton where a father had to bring an urgent motion because he found out that while the uh, pandemic emergency was going on, the mother had listed her home for sale and was planning to move from Hamilton to Pembroke. And uh, in addition, he was concerned about the prospect of prospective buyers uh, coming in and out of the home where the child was living. Uh, this was a situation where the parties had sh a joint custody order and there was substantial uh, time that the child was with the father. Uh, in that instance, the court made a temporary order uh, prohibiting the mother from removing the child from the jurisdiction. And also uh, I, there, were some, there was an order to do with uh, not having people come in the house for the purposes of, of listing it for sale. Um, another case uh, that dealt with this was Platcha versus Bennett, and that was a case where a father had, <clears throat> had access to a child for the purposes of the March break and going on a trip to Newfoundland. And uh, because the pandemic emergency really arose over that period, uh, father took the position he was just going to stay in Newfoundland with the child, although the child regularly resided with the mother back in Ontario. And again, in that case, the court intervened and made an order that the child should be returned to the normal residence uh, because it, even though there's the pandemic emergency going on, the court didn't feel that that was a sufficient reason to make a permanent change of residence. Um, so definitely the court will intervene. And, you know, I remember when we used to get the reports on COVID-19, I think Halifax and Newfoundland were like the last few provinces to get reported cases. So you'd think it'd be a pretty safe place to be. But, you know, this concept of mobility and abducting children has always been treated by the court as urgent matters or an emergency matter, whether or not there's a pandemic. Uh, those are fairly significant changes in the child's life. So you can see the court step in, I think, just about each and every time uh, when that occurs. Uh, Jared, I think, thanks, Mark. Jared, I think you have our next one. Yeah, uh, this is a situation where um, client is in a situation where the, the child or children are now um, refusing to, to come to their home. Um, this is hard to deal with in the best of, uh, in the in non-pandemic times, you know. That's right. I mean, this is one of the hardest issues we deal with normally, let alone uh, right now. Um, and the, the question is, will the court uh, hear my matter? I, I generally, 
um, when, when a child, depending on their age, um, there's some evidence that, that they're not wishing um, to attend one home or the other. And when their wishes and preferences come into play, um, depending on their age, that can have a lot of weight. Um, very hard um, for this to be dealt with on an urgent basis. Uh, one of the reasons for that is ascertaining the, the child's uh, wishes and preferences. Whether those wishes and preferences are independent or not is a big factor. Um, whether there's alienation at play, whether there's manipulation at play, those are fact-finding issues where evidence uh, is important and the testing of that evidence is important. Normally, these are triable issues, as I'm sure Mark and Russell, uh, you, you agree, and, and Jonathan, um, because uh, so, so dealing with this type of issue on an urgent basis generally would, would not happen. Um, the courts would generally look at maybe involving the Office of the Children's Lawyer on a situation like that. One of the problems we're facing right now, and I'm, I'm sure you gentlemen have dealt with it as well, is, is when one parent just says that the child doesn't want to attend, right? And, and, and the, other, the, the other parent is, is, is uh, questioning that or, or uh, you know, speculating that that may not be, be the case. Um, so, so again, um, the case law goes, goes both ways on this, depending on the fact scenario. Uh, that's why uh, these are case by case decisions. And it comes down to whether uh, there, there's immediate physical uh, or emotional risk to the child's well-being. Um, and and if, if, uh, if there's not, then it likely wouldn't be considered urgent. If uh, the party saying that they're not coming to my home is able to show some evidence that, they're, that this is impeding or, or damaging the child's well-being or, or contrary to their best interest, then the courts may very well deal with it. So um, there's, there's a couple cases that, that uh, Russell has referenced that can be referred to, which basically, uh, again, shows that these are very fact-specific decisions and case-by-case case for our courts right now. Um, but generally, again, depends on the age. If we're dealing with a child who's 10 to 13 years old versus a child who's four years old, uh, the court is going to assign uh, differing levels of weight to the child's wishes. So um, very tough cases and um, definitely advisable to contact a professional before um, dealing with that matter uh, by any self-helping rem remedies. Yeah, I think the specific facts will drive the outcome. You know, we have very immature 15-year-olds and very mature 10 and 12-year-olds. Every child's different. I know right. that there's a recent case out of the Court of Appeal where uh, the court reversed custody because mom was alienating the child from the father, placed custody with the dad, ordered reunification therapy, and ordered access for mom. Pretty drastic decision. And the, and the other interesting thing about that case is the child didn't want to participate in uh, the therapy. So there's an issue of the child's consent. But when there's a disagreement between the parent, it, parents, it gives the court broad discretion to make orders. They're going to make the orders based on the best interests of the child. I think the short answer to this question is there's just not the judicial resources available to deal with this right now. Like Jarrett said, the Office of the Children's Lawyer has limited ability to help. 
However, when yeah, the court opens, when the court opens up, and you know, this is the court will can take extreme measures, including changing custody and ordering reunification therapy, if it finds that one parent has been interfering with the relationship of the child and the other parent. That's that's a great point, and I think it's important for our listeners to know as well. That's a this is a perfect example to look at other process options and look to uh, family professionals uh, such as Jonathan, um, others we work with in the community because um, this is a very tricky issue that that sometimes will necessitate the involvement of a neutral professional to possibly uh, meet with the child or or children, bring bring those uh, views back back to the uh, adults. And, um, and that can be done in a timely manner without needing to rely on, on the already overwhelmed court system right now. Often the court will ask uh, the parents to go and seek uh, clinical services from a social worker or a family professional anyways. So in, in the COVID-19 situation, when the courts are uh, much slower or sh- you know, mostly shut down, it's probably a good idea for you to access that support now yeah. more than ever. And these are very complex interpersonal and emotional issues, and it's hard for the court to, to solve them. Uh, the court yeah. is one instrument. You want someone uh, uh, who has the skill to go in and help the uh, relationship between the parent and child recover and to explain to the custodial parent that Anytime a, a child loses a parent for whatever reason, whether it's alienation or the parent moves away, um, it, it's very harmful to the children in the long term. So we have to do everything we can to make that relationship work, to uh, make both parents uh, see the value in the child having positive and healthy relationships with both parents. And studies show that children have a good relationship with both parents, become more productive, healthy members of society. Oftentimes, the ones who don't end up in the criminal justice system are worse. So that's a great tip, Jonathan. The flip side of all this uh, discussion, this can be a a whole nother podcast is dealing with this one specific issue, is the child may have legitimate reasons for not wanting to see see the other parent. There could be violence, there could be abuse. um, And that needs to be fleshed out as well. And a family professional is well suited to do that. But that's a great tip, Jonathan. Thank you. So I've got the last question under this heading, which are, the heading is parenting time enforcement in the time of COVID-19. What other parenting claims is the court likely not willing to deal with now? Um, basically, if it's not urgent or an emergency, it's not gonna be dealt with. Some examples we're seeing is issues about social media accounts, posting photos, makeup access, enforcement of access uh, when other uh, steps and techniques haven't been used. Um, so these are so these are some examples. There's many others, but basically, I think we've given everyone a good flavor of what's urgent and what's an emergency and when the court's going to step in. Um, so we're going to move into our final category today, and I want to thank everybody for their their time. This has been a great discussion, a really in-depth analysis, and I think it's going to be really helpful for parents who are trying to deal with custody and access issues these days. Uh, Finding a professional to speak to. Um, So Mark, what can can people do here in terms of getting legal advice? As far as getting legal advice is concerned, well, first of all, um, the Law Society. First of all, call Mark. (laughs) 
Other than that, um, there, there is the uh, Law Society uh, legal advice service. Um, and I think the number is posted or you're going to be posting that number. Uh, yeah. That service is going to be a part of our show notes. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And that, that service will give you a referral to a lawyer who will speak to you for up to 30 minutes for free so that you can canvas your uh, legal situation with them and get some uh, information as to what might be the best way for you to deal with it. Um, in particular, that lawyer may be able to give you some assistance in uh, determining whether your matter is sufficiently urgent that you'd be able to deal with it in court, or if not, what are the alternatives. Um, if you are eligible for Legal Aid, you can contact Legal Aid Ontario and they may be able to give you a reference to a lawyer with a legal aid certificate so that you can get the assistance of a lawyer with your, with your uh, problem. Um, you can consult the, uh, the CPI website, uh, Collaborative Practice Institute website, uh, and uh, we have a list of lawyers there who are all settlement oriented and, uh, and some other professionals as well. Uh, family professionals and financial professionals, all of whom can assist you to try to get your case resolved without going to court, uh, which is all the more important, all, all the more important when the courts are not uh, fully operating. Uh, and then finally, you can use good old Google and uh, search for lawyers in your community. Yep. Yep. Great tips. Our 20th and final question um, is going to go to uh, Jonathan. Where can people find family professionals and mediation services? Um, I think uh, it's important to remember that even though uh, the physical sites of, at the courthouse are closed, a lot of the services that are offered uh, related to the courthouse are still open, uh, just operating remotely. So for example, the Flick offices, the Family Law Information Centers, they're all open, they're just operating remotely. Um, if you need uh, support for domestic violence or intimate partner violence or power imbalances, all the women's services are available and they often have court support workers that can uh, help support you through the process. There's a ton of information online. Uh, you can find mediators through the Ontario Association of Family Mediators, uh, OAFM, or FDRIO, the Family Dispute Resolution Institute of Ontario. Um, you can go to websites like uh, CLEO, the Community Legal Education Ontario's website, or Steps to Justice. Those are both excellent websites if you want more information about family law in general and different processes, including mediation. Um, and um, I think, yeah, I think uh, Mark's uh, comment about uh, Google is an excellent one as well. Or they can contact you as well. Exactly. All right. <laughs> I uh, want to thank everybody, uh, Jarrett, Mark, Jonathan, for joining us. These are incredibly important questions to our clients and to the public. Uh, let's wrap this up and bring the, the train into the station, so to speak, with some final thoughts and comments. Uh, Jarrett, you want to start? Yeah, and I think you touched on it earlier. I don't think anyone right now should judge themselves for, for panicking somewhat. I mean, everyone... These are unprecedented times, so these are really good questions, um, and you should be asking them. As Jonathan, I think, pointed out, you have a right to know what kind of protocols um, the other homes are following, and I think it, it really uh, teaches us right now how important 
information sharing and opening up communication lines on some of these files where you've been in court for a year and you haven't spoken and it's all been through through professionals um, we need to start looking at, at issues in different ways and through different lenses to try to be creative and get through and resolve some of these issues so um, thanks for having me Russ and, and I think these are, are very important issues and, and uh, this was a great discussion yeah great insight Jared thank you mark final thoughts uh, yeah I, I think all of it goes back to uh, what Justice Hazarat said in the Ribeiro case which is that families need less litigation and more cooperation and uh, really uh, that can take many forms but a, a lot of it is about the communication piece a lot of it is about uh, both parents talking to each other and asking questions and being willing to answer the questions so that everyone has faith that that the kids are safe and really that's the most important thing which uh, everyone is concerned about is making sure that children are safe and healthy and that uh, everyone's going to get through this pandemic i think that's the common thread we see in all the cases um, is child safety and the safety of families uh, jonathan final thoughts and uh, comments yeah, I think the in in all of these um, uh, rulings that we've had from the court, uh, we can see a common theme that it's so important for parents and children to spend time together. It, it it's good for the children, and removing that time is harmful to them. And um, there's a reason why that theme keeps coming up over and over again. It's borne out in the social science research, and it, it is good for parents and children to spend time together. It's healthy. It's in their in the children's best interest. So do whatever you can to preserve that time. And if the COVID situation is making that difficult, find creative ways to solve those problems. Yeah, and just pick up on that point. One of the court, one of the decisions even said this is a great time uh, for children to maximize their time with both parents because they're both at home. They're not working. Uh, for the most part, or they're self-isolating. So that was kind of an interesting perspective as well. Yeah. In terms of my final thoughts, um, certainly this is going to be the new normal for everyone uh, for the next few months and perhaps the next several months. The courts are doing the best they can with the limited technology that they have. Uh, as they improve their technology, I think we're going to see the courts opening up to more and less urgent cases. Um, Professionals such as uh, the ones you have listened to today remain open and we're available to help. Um, this is what we do every day. Uh, mental health professionals, legal professionals, financial professionals access these services. Uh, people want to help each other during this time. So again, I want to thank everybody. I want to thank our listeners and viewers for listening to the Family Law Now podcast. Once again, if you've liked this video, hit the like button. You can share it with your friends. Uh, you can tap the bell to subscribe to future videos. Uh, thank you, everybody, for your thoughts and comments today. And thank you to our listeners and viewers for sending us these questions. Uh, they were quite helpful. Be safe, everybody, and have a great day. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks.